It is so good to be back at Central in this household of faith that Virginia and I have grown to really love and appreciate so much. From 2010 to 2014, we were very involved in weekly worship here. Uh, I teach at a divinity school in Birmingham, Alabama, at Beeson Divinity School. And uh, this church was in an early stage of gospel renewal. And uh, we were invited to come and to serve as a pastor, a teaching pastor. Our daily, our weekly routine was to fly to New York on Friday night after a week of work. And uh, my usual feeling at the time was Friday night was, why are we doing this? And somewhat depressed after a week of work. Uh, and then Saturday, a walk in Central Park and going over the sermon and by Saturday night feeling, I've got nothing to say to this congregation at all. And then Sunday morning, we'd arrive here, and uh, we'd arrive purposely early to hear the worshipers, the musicians practice. And about by the second hymn, I was really so thankful to be involved in the ministry of this church. It was really the heartfelt worship. I mean, even today, going through the, the music, uh, Seth's uh, fingerprints are all over the selection of these songs, and they tie in perfectly to Psalm 16, our text. And you can just, he's read and thought the theology out uh, even before it's preached. And that has had such a profound uh, impact, I think, on the worship here uh, at Central. I'm so thankful for Jason's ministry in this body of believers, uh, for the quality and the biblical Christ-centered nature, and the sensitivity to, uh, you know, you can just tell here at Central that no matter what spiritual condition you arrive here at, there is a desire to really minister and to encourage and to help you along. Um, of course, we'd like everybody to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Uh, that's our heartfelt desire. But we really want to be sensitive to uh, skeptics and seekers and doubters and people that are just working through their spiritual life. Psalm 16 is our text. It's there in your worship folder or on your app. Uh, it's also, you can grab a Bible. Uh, it is a beautiful, positive psalm. And it is a psalm that articulates, uh, I, I think, what it means to live into the resurrection. And it can be interpreted, I think, very well by, uh, new, in the light of the New Testament and the light of the gospel. And I believe the apostles gave us a precedent for interpreting it that way. You do realize that the Psalter is Jesus' prayer book. It's what he prayed. And so all the Psalms that we would reflect on, and I think the Psalms may be neglected as the, a tremendous source for spiritual formation for the Christian's devotional life, the Psalms have all been prayed by Jesus. And when you pray them today in the light of Jesus praying these psalms, I think they take on great significance. I don't know about you, but I like authors that give me words 
to express what I'm feeling and thinking. And when you find an author that does that, that articulates really, boy, I wish I could say it like this style, you find that in the Psalms. The Psalms give us words to express our lament, words to express our praise. Uh, Because I don't know about you, but praying uh, can oftentimes, within 30 seconds, you seem to be at a stage of daydreaming um, or your mind wanders. But the Psalms give us words to focus our devotion and our attention. Listen carefully. These are God's words. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is God's word. It's trustworthy and true and given to us in love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mark Buchanan is a pastor in uh, British Columbia on the west coast of Canada, and he describes an idyllic wedding. Um, The wedding took place in a chapel in August, and he said it was was rustic, architecturally simple, yet uh, a beautiful place of worship. And this young couple devoted to Christ, she was dressed in a white dress, and he was in his own suit, and a friend of theirs uh, was strumming on a guitar, praise songs, and led the congregation in that worship. And he said it was almost like a handcrafted worship service. Simple, profound, aesthetically beautiful, and he said it could not have been better. And he officiated at the wedding, he gave the meditation, They exchanged vows, and the reception was held outdoors on a grassy slope jutting into uh, the harbor and overlooking the Pacific Ocean with white sailboats. And he said it was just idyllic. You had the uh, shrimp, Cajun food, and he said uh, it was just a wonderful. And the newly married couple is 
circulating within the, the friends that have gathered. And he said it was Eden. It was like Eden. It couldn't have been better. And he got into a conversation with a 20-something philosophy student who approached Mark and said, you didn't believe all that religious stuff you said back at the church, did you? And uh, Mark said, yeah, I, I do believe that. And he said, well, I tried your religion, but it was too much of a burden. I've come to the conclusion, he said, the philosophy student, I've come to the conclusion that life justifies living. There's enough beauty, there's enough uh, glory, there's enough aesthetics, there's just, there's enough life justifies living, period. And Mark said, well, you know, on a day like this, where everything's perfect, and we're just having a wonderful time, and it all, it's only health and joy that we're uh, in, he said, I, yeah, I can buy that. But then he started to talk to this young man about uh, two friends of his, both who were suffering intensely, one physically and one mentally, one broken in life relationally, the other one body broken. Life doesn't justify living, Mark said. Eternity justifies living. And that's, that's kind of the tension point that I would like to develop in this sermon. Life justifies living or living the resurrection. And in a way, I think you've got to come down on one side or the other. Life justifying living or living the resurrection. This is a psalm that I have sent to friends because I think it's such a beautiful picture of human flourishing. I sent it to my nephew who lives in Hong Kong and is facing a, a life change of moving from Hong Kong back to the States. And because I think it, it gives us words to describe what it is we're trusting in and what is anchoring our soul. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say, and there's something affirmative about this description of devotion. I say, this is my confession. If you were looking for a kind of New Testament caption for this, I think those, these first four verses would be, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from me, you have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, and this is something that, you know, I've been listening to your sermon, uh, for Jason's sermons on human flourishing and what it is to become human again uh, in the context that we've all endured over these last uh, over these last, this last year. And his stress on the fact that it's not just the self that gets rightly related to God. It's the self in community, 
in the body of Christ that gets rightly related to God. John Stott, the Anglican pastor, uh, said that we're not bodiless souls, nor soulless bodies, but bodies and souls in community. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. And we need to live in that community of the household of faith, I think, to experience the joy, the forgiveness, the acceptance, the relational wholeness. And still within this uh, description of sort of single-minded devotion and wholehearted discipleship, the fourth verse, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Uh, The psalmist is describing here not... uh, so much pagans who live outside of Israel as the kind of syncretistic temptation, the blended sort of devotion and life of those living in Israel, those who run after other gods. He doesn't name them. He doesn't dwell on this. After the Lord gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he gave altar-building instructions And he said, you have heard, he says this through Moses to the people of God, you have heard that I have spoken from heaven. Do not put any gods alongside of me. I find that language really interesting, alongside of me, because it's not in place of me, not as a substitute for me, the Lord says, but alongside of me. And it just seems like we do live with the temptation of taking something and using that as almost a substitute for wholehearted devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something about this psalm that I think every aspect that could threaten to compete with God finds its rightful place in devotion to God. So whether it's sports or sex or technology, whatever, that could threaten to kind of compete with God, instead, it can find its proper place. You know, those outside of New York City always believe that New Yorkers work too much. I don't know if you agree with that. But it seems that that kind of work becomes all, uh, you know, all-encompassing, all-absorbing. And uh, I don't know, through our experience of New York, I'm glad many of you are working the way you're working. I'm glad that the business people and the scientists and the, the medical people are working the way they're working. But I think we all acknowledge the fact that uh, we need a center around which all of those good activities and legitimate concerns can find their, their due anchor, their, their sense of purpose, their sense of significance. The first paragraph, I think, is the first four verses. It's how it's outlined on the app. And verse five, Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, I don't know if this morning you can say that. Um, 
And I wouldn't impose this on anybody. As a sincere and devoted Christian, this may not be very descriptive right now. I mean, we've all gone through certain periods of life where we might sort of hesitate to express it this way. Uh, There was a three-year period of time where my family, uh, I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. My father died from uh, stomach cancer, and my mother had a heart attack. Uh, Three very rough years uh, for our family. But I do think that I, in good conscience, can say this today. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. And the boundary lines have fallen on me in in pleasant places. Um, Even with the death of my father at 48 and my senior year of uh, spending more time in the hospital, uh, I look back on my life and I think it's so blessed. The Lord has been so good to me. I think it's actually even a, a way of reinterpreting suffering and brokenness and difficulty. And I'm thankful the psalmist gives me language to be able to express it. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. You remember that verse in Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we throw off everything that hinders. We join that race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him scorned the shame of the cross and now sits at the right hand of the Father. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. It's interesting, at Pentecost... When Peter preached, he referenced these words from Psalm 16. Peter the apostle saw in this psalm the projection, the prophecy, the pointer to the resurrection of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. When the Apostle Paul preached at Poseidon Antioch in Acts 13, he again references this verse. The Apostles saw in Psalm 16 the pointer to the reality of the resurrection. They are looking back, and now we read that text in the light of their interpretation. Life justifies living or living the resurrection. Does life justify living or does eternity justify living? Does the reality of the resurrection frame our lives? It's just phenomenal when you think about it. And in the kind of society that we live in today, it is such an odd and unusual reality to embrace that in Christ you will not die. And that when you leave this time space, 
period. You are welcomed into the very presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That you enter into God's time zone. Unlike anything that we've ever experienced, where before God, past, present, and future are all immediate. Is it a lot to believe? Yeah, you could say it's incredible. But it's what Christians affirm. That Jesus indeed said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he or she live. And she who believes in me shall never die. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's wonderful to contemplate what a Christian experiences in life. And I do think in our society especially, it's a real challenge to uh, what we believe. We do live in a fairly secular or a spiritually bent kind of society. And the Lord welcomes us to affirm wholeheartedly, single-mindedly, our devotion to him. And here what I'm suggesting is that if you do that, if we do that, life takes on the kind of significance, the kind of redemption that the Lord designed for us. Jesus died so that we might live.